As I look out at the snow and cold, and I think about the series called Prodigal Family, uh, bringing practical help to our families, uh, I, I'm focused upon this story Jesus told about a father and two sons. And one day the younger son says to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Meaning his inheritance, which because he was the younger son would have been one third of everything the father owned. In those days, this was incredibly disrespectful to the father to ask for this inheritance. This was like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. But the father surprises everyone by dividing up his property between the two sons. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and traveled to a distant country where he wasted everything that had been given to him. And then a famine comes and he begins to work for a pig farmer and he ends up hungry eating corn cobs from the pig slop. In this desperate situation, he decides to return to his father, having learned an important lesson. And when he returns, he will confess his sin against God and against his father and ask for forgiveness and ask to be hired as a hired hand, never to be called a son again. So the son returns to his father, and when he's still a long ways off, his father sees him, and his father runs to hug and kiss him. And the son begins his speech, but the father's not listening. Father says there will be a celebration, a party, a feast. Get a heifer and roast it, barbecued beef. A son who was lost is now found. All this time, the older brother was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. And as he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked, what's going on? And the servant told him, your brother came home. Your father ordered a feast and a party. The older brother stalked off angry and refused to join the party. His father came out and tried to talk to this son, but the oldest son disrespected his father by not listening or going to the party. The son said, look, for many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? This son of yours has squandered your money on immoral living and you go all out with a feast for him. The father said, Son, you don't understand. Everything that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate. Your brother was lost and now he's found. The story ends with the father celebrating with the younger son at the party and estranged from his older brother. So what does this word prodigal, prodigal family mean? One thing it means is reckless, doing something without thinking about the consequences. And this story has always been called the parable of the prodigal son because the younger son's behavior was seen as reckless. But we want to remind you the father, father figure is also reckless, loving his son, reckless with his love, reckless with his grace, reckless with his forgiveness, reckless with giving up his own rights. So the question is this, how might you and I be a little more reckless in our families like this father was in his? It might have been snowing since Dave recorded that video. <laughs> uh, when you listen to that story, though, does a little part of you say, really? Really? Did that son really go up to his dad and ask for his inheritance early? Where I come from, you just didn't do that. You maybe would ask for your allowance early. Does anybody have like a vivid memory of getting your allowance? 
And my house was on Friday afternoons, and my dad always kind of made a show of it. He would like pull his wallet real slowly out of his back pocket, and he'd count the bills into my hand. And he always made the same dad joke. He always said, Carla, now let's see, you get $1.15, right? It's, I was just thinking about this the other day about allowance. It's so different now. Could kids actually like make a Venmo request to their parents for an allowance payment? Well, that's insane. Uh, I know Sean and I, we uh, actually, st at the end of allowance giving for our kids, we just direct deposit it, it into their account because nobody carries cash anymore, right? But did you hear Dave say that that kid asked for his inheritance and his dad gave it to him? In my world, that kid doesn't deserve his inheritance. Although, in 1976, so I would be seven years old, my mom had this, um, it was 1976, so bicentennial, my mom had this chiffon jumpsuit. It had uh, bell-bottom legs and bell sleeves, and I remember watching her get ready to go out with my dad, and I would just think, what would it be like to wear something that beautiful and that glamorous? So I said to my mom, can I have that when you die? <laughs> now, whenever I compliment her, she's like, yeah, you can have it when I die. But do you see? There's something about this story that feels super foreign. But if we pay attention, we begin to recognize characters in the story, um, in ourselves and in the people around us. And Jesus is just this master storyteller. He has the way of, uh, this way of telling a story and just pulling us in. But even those of us who had really great dads, like me, like best dad in the world dads, we just ask ourselves, who is this father? Who is this guy? Why does he forgive so completely? How is it that he is this forgiving, party-throwing father? You know what my dad would have called these two sons? He would have called them pukes. My dad was a colorful guy. He had a lot of colorful things to say, but he would have said they were a couple of pukes. So who is this forgiving, party-throwing father of a couple of pukes? This father forgave. He forgave, like Dave said, recklessly unconditionally, in a way that didn't make sense to the people that were hearing this story when Jesus told it, and it really doesn't make sense to us today. This was a forgiving father. Why? Why was he so ready to forgive? And I think one of the main reasons is because this father was most interested in the hearts of his sons. He was more interested in their hearts than judging their behavior. Now, before I lose you completely, he was obviously concerned about their behavior because it affects them and it affects people around them, but he was most interested in their hearts. That is how he was able to forgive so completely, unconditionally, so quickly. Think about it. That's how he looked in the face of his dirty, weary, worn-out younger son and decided to throw a party because he wanted to connect with his heart. That's how he let the angry, jealous words of the older son just fall to the ground without responding in anger or disbelief. And I believe for this father to forgive unconditionally, recklessly, like he did, he had to see things fundamentally different than we see them. And the way he did that was he was interested in the hearts of his kids above anything else. 
And he, he did this in a whole bunch of ways. His, his interest in their heart shows in a bunch of ways, but we're going to look at three ways this morning. And the first thing he did was he took a long view of his two sons. And that just means that he knew that he was in a process, uh, that everybody's in a process, and he was going to pay attention to the process more than like disturbing events that would happen along the way. That's why he was able to forgive unconditionally. He was in it for the long haul with both of these kids. And this long haul kept him from getting sidetracked by disturbing events along the way. So we can see this in the story in a bunch of places. We're just going to look at one. Uh, we see this when he didn't allow the event of his son asking for his inheritance, in essence saying, I wish you were dead, to become the event that ended their relationship forever. He wasn't going to let the event get in the way of the process of their relationship. He knew, just like Dave talked about last week, if you're here, he knew that pain, loss, hurt, and difficult events was all, being, was all a part of being connected to people who are in process. If you are in a family, there will be hurt, pain, and difficulty. But taking the long view is one of the best ways to deal with scary, painful events. So we have to remember that this father is most interested in the heart of his children, not judging their behavior. So one of the goals of this series is that we could become the kind of people who reflect the characteristics of this father in the story who represents God to the people around us. But it is impossible to do that unless we realize, just like these two sons, that we are in process. So... Please, raise your hand if you realize that you are in process. Okay, everybody should have their hand raised. Okay, maybe you should actually turn to the person next to you and say, I am in process. Can you do that for me? Good job, you guys. All right, I won't make you do that again. Uh, this is really important, though. To encounter and follow Jesus is to give yourself to the lifelong process of transformation, of having your heart transformed by God's good grace. We sing about it all the time. God is most interested in my heart and in your heart, more interested in our hearts than judging our behavior. And this is really, really good news. It's like the best news. So anyone who wants to follow Jesus needs to know that they're in process. Paul he is a guy who wrote most of the New Testament. Paul knew he was in process. Paul spent a good chunk of his adult life chasing down, hunting down, and killing Jesus followers until one day he had this encounter with the risen Jesus, and his life began to change as he became a follower of Jesus. So Paul knew he was a person in process. Listen to the what he wrote in a letter to his uh, young apprentice, his young friend Timothy. This is in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. This is Paul talking. How true it is, and how I long that everyone should know it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I was the greatest of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as an example to show everyone how patient he is. Do you see how God has a long view of us? How he had a long view of Paul? So is there someone in your life 
that would benefit from a long view? Is there someone in your life that you could begin to look through a different kind of a lens, to look at them with this long view? And how could a long view of a few of your relationships help you navigate painful, hurtful, disturbing events as they happen in your life? This long view is powerful. It's a powerful way to navigate relationships that are full of surprises. So uh, we adopted our oldest daughter, Teresa, when she was 12 years old out of foster care. Uh, Sean and I were probably like almost 30, maybe 30, 31. Uh, and we did the best we could to give her a home with security and stability and love. And she lived with us from the end of sixth grade to the end of ninth grade. And from everything we could see, she was thriving. She was doing well in school. And then she ran away. One day, she just never came home. And after months and months and months, we found her. And we brought her back home from Oklahoma. Uh, she didn't want to come. We kind of drug her back with love. And uh, the next day, she was gone again. She uh, ran away again. And we didn't look for her this time. And it was so scary. We were so afraid. We were so confused. We, we just, uh, we didn't know what to think. We didn't know what to do. We were shocked. But we couldn't change or control this event. And for the last 15 years, she's 31 now, uh, we slowly, with some success and a lot of failure, are in the process of learning what it means to have a long view of our relationship with her. And to be honest, I just realized this a couple of weeks ago, I think she's in the process of learning what it looks like to have a long view of her relationship with us. And I don't know what this is supposed to look like. But I know that we're all in process, we all make mistakes, we hurt each other, and we try to control things that we can't control, but we're learning we're just learning to trust that God is first interested in our hearts and how we're being transformed by his grace and his mercy. And that song that Katie and Hope sang, it's such a perfect example of how God's working on all of us. The only way we can stay focused on the long view when we're faced with disturbing events and unexpected events is to just be interested in the hearts of the people around us, have a long view of them. When you think about it, if we had gotten caught up in the event of Teresa running away, we probably wouldn't have a relationship with our daughter today. And we wouldn't have a relationship with our three grandchildren that she's given us. This is a big deal to develop a long view of your relationships. So because this father saw things fundamentally different, it caused him to take a long view of his sons. He was not held hostage by these disturbing events along the way. So where could you take a long view with someone in your life? So the second thing this father did that was fundamentally different was his willingness to set his rights and his hurt aside. You can't take the long view without becoming willing to set your rights and your hurt aside. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, them's fighting words? I've heard that, right? Did you know it dates back to like 1917? I didn't know either until I looked it up, but uh, there's actually a quote on this. I'm pretty sure it has to be said with a Jersey accent, so I'm going to give it my best shot. It's early on a Sunday morning, but uh, you know, 
There's lots of words that's called fighting words. Some of them starts a brawl no matter who they've spoken to. It's so true, right? Lots of words are fighting words. So this story of the prodigal son is just full of fighting words, and every time somebody throws one down, we think finally there's going to be a fight. The father's going to like power up. He's going to show these sons who's boss. He's going to put them in their place, but he never does. Look at all the fighting words in this. First one is here in Luke 15:11 at the very beginning of the story. Give me my inheritance, the son said, and then he split his estate between his sons. It's not like he said, "Hey dad, why don't you drop dead already?" I want your money. He didn't just say, "Hey dad, I was thinking that maybe you could fund a gap year for me in Nineveh, maybe between Torah school and when I take over the family business." He didn't do that. This this was a punch in the gut to this dad. It broke his heart. It hurt his pride. It embarrassed him in front of his neighbors. It made him wonder what the future was going to be, what he'd been working for his whole life. But he didn't respond out of that hurt and anger. He didn't fight for his rights. And the older son, he threw down fighting words too. Listen to the anger, jealousy and accusation. This is in Luke 15:29 and 30. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours who's squandered your property with prostitutes come home and you killed a fattened calf for him. Modern interpretation. All I do is work 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 for you. That's all I do. I do everything right. And I can't even get a six pack and a pound to share with my friends. <laughs> and this is the deal. This father had every right to tell his older son that he was a dim-witted self-centered know-it-all who wasn't even close to the man he needed to be to take over the family business but he didn't do that he set his rights aside set his broken heart aside and he pleaded with this older son to come in and join the celebration he left the party to go say this to him after the son said all these words he says son i am always with you and everything i have is yours participate with me in the party your 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 brother was dead and now he is alive how on earth did this dad set his hurt and his rights aside enough to allow these hurtful words simply to fall to the ground untouched and stay there how easy would it have been for him to throw some gasoline filled words of his own on the fire we do that so well don't we How did he do it? This father was most interested in the heart of his sons, not in judging their behavior. He took a long view with them and he was willing to set his own rights and hurt aside. So, do you need help when it comes to fighting words? Does this remind you of any relationships in your life? I know it reminds me of a few. Let me tell you what's helped our family so much and it's not easy to do and we pretty much still stink at it a lot of times because we're in process uh but this is a skill that I really believe every person needs and it's just this simple skill let words fall to the ground untouched you don't have to pick them up especially personal attacks you don't have to engage with the words people say so we're going to start with an easy place for example this is easy place to start 
do you have a know-it-all in your life? So I feel like half of you looked at the person beside you because you're both thinking of the same person, and half of you are not going to look at the person beside you because they're the know-it-all. But think about the know-it-alls in your life. Know-it-alls make me really crazy, probably because I am one, but uh, we can practice with these people. So this is what it looks like. You're talking to somebody, and all of a sudden you realize they're just making stuff up. It's just completely not true. And you think in your mind, I can tell you're making stuff up and you just want to say to the person, do you think I'm a total idiot? I can tell you're making this up. But what would happen if you thought to yourself, I don't understand why he does this. I can't change this behavior, but if I work on it really hard, I could just let these words fall to the ground. Or maybe you have the same argument with the same person over and over and over again. You could write the script. You can see it coming a mile away. You know what's going to happen. You could plan in advance. The next time you see that argument like bubbling up, you could just plan in advance to let those words fall to the ground. So what would it take for you to become the kind of person that could let some, some fighting words fall to the ground untouched? And then why would you do this? What would the benefit be? And I think it's because fighting words make us lose sight, lose focus on the heart of the people we care about. Sometimes this looks like putting our rights and feelings aside, not all the time, not when it's dangerous to do so, but a lot of times we could let our rights and our feelings go so that we could connect with the heart of another person better. Okay, the third way this father sees differently, is he doesn't care what the neighbors think. He doesn't manage his image. His kid's heart means more to him than managing his image. So, this is a big one. Did you know that image management is an actual job you could have? It's real. And it would be a really fascinating job, or a horrible job, completely depending on who your client was. But don't think for a minute that image management is a modern idea. It was alive and well in Jesus' day. How your village viewed you was everything in Jesus' day. Everything from your social standing, to who your sons or your daughters could marry, to how your church people saw you, how religious people viewed you. And really, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. We attempt to manage our image all the time, don't we? We do it all the time. Think about how you manage your image with your neighbors or uh, with, oh gosh, parents. Think about how you manage your image with other parents or with grandma and grandpa or with people at church. And the list just goes on and on and on. If you think about the father in this story, his neighbors and his church friends thought he was failing at his main job. It was like, Dad, you have one job. His one job was to protect and manage the image of his family. But this dad seemed like he couldn't care less about his image. Everything he did was an effort to stay connected to the heart of his kids, stay connected to this lifelong process of transformation he knew was at work inside his kids. His two very different sons. So let's look at all the opportunities this dad had to manage his image. So he didn't manage his image when his son came up to him and asked for his inheritance. He didn't do it. 
His son said, give me my inheritance and wasted it on lavish living. What did the neighbors think when this happened? Well, there were some very specific things this father's neighbors thought. They thought this kid should be stoned to death. Literally throw rocks at this son until he was dead. At the very least, they thought this dad should have driven him out of town and never, ever spoke to him again. Dad didn't care what they thought. He didn't manage his image when he waited at the end of the driveway watching for his lost son to come home. What did the neighbors think when he was watching for this son? Well, I believe that every neighborhood has an Agnes or an Earl. In our neighborhood, it was Agnes, and she didn't miss anything. She saw it all right through that little break in her front window curtains, right? She's always there. And can you imagine Agnes in this story, what she would have said? She probably would have said something like this, do you see that poor father? He's always standing out there watching for that no good son to come home. But you know what she really is saying? What kind of self-respecting man stands at the end of the driveway and waits for his no good son to come home? Isn't he embarrassed? That's not what men do. Every neighborhood has an Agnes or an Earl. That dad didn't care what the neighbors thought. When he saw his son from a long way off, he picked up his roads and he ran for that son. Imagine what the neighbors thought. He didn't manage his image when that no good son came home with his tail between his legs. Think about what he could have done that he didn't do when his son came home. He didn't stop to make sure the son knew the seriousness of his sin. He didn't make sure the son knew how much he'd embarrassed or shamed the family. He didn't have a lecture with him. He didn't say, have you learned your lesson? Are you going to make sure you never do anything like this again? There are reasons we have rules, and this is why. Look at you. He didn't do any of that. He put a ring and a robe on that guy, and he threw a party. And he did not care what the neighbors thought. He sent them an invitation to the party. He didn't manage his image when he left that party to plead with his older son to come inside. He didn't need to manage his image because he was most interested in the heart of his children. He didn't need to manage his image in the face of their behavior or worry about what the neighbors were thinking. So I just want you to take a minute. How do you manage your image? Do you know anyone who tries to use their kids to manage their image? Man, I think that's a struggle for every parent, isn't it? Kids, have you ever felt like your parents were trying to use you to manage their image? You guys ever feel this? It's real for us. Every once in a while, at a staff meeting here at Orchard, Dave Bartlett will remind us that our kids don't work for the church. He literally says that. Remember, guys, your kids don't work for the church. You work for the church. What you do and what you say matters, but your kids, they don't work for the church. And it's such an awesome reminder. I love it so much. It's like a good reminder just for me and my family, but it also makes me so happy that I work for a church that actually means it. And you know what? Your kids don't work for the church either. They don't need to carry that kind of weight. They have enough weight to carry on their own. And I just want to end with this. If you think you're the only one in this church who yourself 
or someone you care about has dealt with hard stuff like maybe um, getting arrested for shoplifting or suspended from school or uh, has spent time in jail or if you or someone you care about has made a really bad decision that's affected like huge chunks of their life and huge chunks of your life or if you think you're the only one or the, you have somebody in your life who's the only one that's uh, struggling with anxiety or depression or apathy, like just giving up, we just want you to know that that's not true. Like we all struggle with all kinds of things and we're all in this together. So just look around. We're all in this together. We're all in the middle of this lifelong process of being transformed by a good God who just showers us with grace and mercy, who invites us to know him, who invites us to, uh, to learn about him and to trust that his heart is good and kind and forgiving towards us. So, we just want to join together. We want to learn how to be most interested in the hearts of the people closest to us, just like this father. More interested in a person's heart than in judging their behavior and to take the long view of people, including ourselves. And then we can learn to put our rights and our feelings aside so we can stay connected to each other. And then we might just reflect a little bit of the heart of God who heaps on forgiveness. Why? Because he wants to throw a party. That's a pretty good God to follow. We're going to pray and we're going to continue to sing. God, we're so thankful that you're a good father, that you are strong and you're just and you're mighty and you are uncompromising when it comes to love and that you have mercy for us and you're always at work in our life when we can see it, when we can feel it and when uh, we feel completely alone. Would you help us to have courage Would you help us to have courage to pay attention to the people in our lives, to see them, and to learn what it means to be interested in their hearts? Because it's really hard, God, and we know that, that you understand the difficulties we have in relationship. So thank you for being our teacher and our friend and our Lord and our Savior. Thank you for the example that you gave us in your son Jesus, who teaches us how to relate to each other and teaches us who you are. And uh, we lift up these prayers now. We lift up our voices to continue to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.